0: What does our world need right now? If you were to think about one thing that this world, especially if you read the headlines and if you are just aware of the current political climate, the difficulties and challenges that are punctuating the the landscape, what what is the one thing that our world needs most right now? Any number of answers may come to your mind, but the one that comes to my mind is mercy. I think about mercy, God has given us mercy, and as those who are conduits or recipients of mercy, we are called to be those who give or dispense mercy. This really came home to me through a story that I was reading recently, that one that you're probably aware of. Uh, about a police officer in Texas named Amber Geiger who was on trial for fatally shooting uh, his name is Botham Jean in his own apartment in 2018. She had entered his home, this 26-year-old man thinking it was her own apartment then mistook him for an intruder and instinctively reached for her gun and shot him at close range and killed him. A panel of three judges found her guilty and sentenced her to 10 years in prison. During the trial, Botham's younger brother, Brant was allowed to address Amber directly while he was on the stand. And the mercy of God, who had spoken to him personally, was now conveyed to him, to Amber, through these words. Listen. He says... I don't want to say it twice or for a hundredth time. What you or how much you've taken from us, I think you know that. But I just hope to God that you will go to Him with your guilt and all the bad things that you may have done in the past. Each and every one of us may have done something we're not supposed to do. If you're truly sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I forgive you. And I know if you go to God, and ask him, he will forgive you. I'm speaking for myself and not on behalf of my family, but I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I personally want the best for you because I know that's exactly what Botham would want as well. And the best for you right now is to give your life to Jesus Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that Botham would want you to do. A testimony of mercy, a conduit of mercy. And in many ways, the the encapsulation of the passage that we're going to be talking about this morning from Luke chapter 6. This embodiment of mercy that was first found in Jesus, of course, as he came as God incarnate to show us what true mercy looks like. And he came to call us to receive mercy, to enjoy the benefits of mercy, and then, by extension, to call others to mercy. If you this morning are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you this morning have come to a place of recognizing a holy God That you stand in a place that is separate from God because you are unable to meet the standard. That you have fallen short of the glory of God and so in every way you are unable to meet His standard and thus impossible for you to go with God, to be with God in heaven one day except through faith in Christ. Except through mercy. Are you a recipient this morning of mercy? having come to the place of recognizing a holy God, coming to the place of recognizing your deep spiritual need and laying that burden on Christ, asking for forgiveness, receiving cleansing and peace with God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Of course, mercy is not the spirit of the age, is it? <laughs> and if we're honest with ourselves, we would know that mercy is not natural for us either. When people hurt us, when they injure us, when they speak evil against us, when they take the things that we, that we have, when they, um, when they discredit us in public, we want to get even. We want revenge. But this morning, we're going to take a look at the, the life and ministry of Jesus who came to show what true mercy does and what true, true mercy means we're going to notice today how important mercy is to Jesus. And while mercy is not found directly, this word in our passage today, the correlating um, uh, narratives in Matthew and Mark refer to mercy, and, and mercy is written across this narrative. It's easy to see. So open with, up and with me, if you would, please, to Luke chapter 6, as we begin looking at Jesus... Who is full of compassion in mercy that's our first point this morning Jesus is full of compassion this morning you will either be a recipient of the compassion of Jesus by partaking in mercy in coming to faith in Christ or you will be a recipient of confrontation there's there's no other way to it it's one or the other there's no middle ground you will receive compassion from Christ or confrontation from Christ. Let's look at it together. It says in verse one of chapter six, on a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some uh, some heads of grain, rubbing them together in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, "Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath?" Jesus, full of compassion. We're going to see here as the first point that he commends mercy. That in being confronted with this situation and recognizing the physical needs of his disciples in walking through this grain field, Jesus will commend mercy. He will commend mercy to his disciples. He will commend mercy to those Pharisees who are watching. Luke has drawn attention to the Sabbath day uh, on multiple occasions through these first few chapters. We've seen the Sabbath day over and over again. And, and, and this morning, the Sabbath is going to come up in two different places. First in verse 1 and then later in verse 6. It's really the, the one-two punch that Jesus is going to use. It's the context in which Jesus is going to take this showdown to the, the, to the Pharisees and help them understand what the heart of God is really about. He wants them to understand who God is. And in understanding who God is, they need to understand this very important thing, compassion and mercy. So for us to really appreciate the the full magnitude of this story, we need to maybe fill in some of the, the, the groundwork, some of the foundation of this story so we can appreciate the impact of what Jesus will say let's just talk briefly about the sabbath the sabbath of course was significant for a jew and going all the way back to genesis chapter one all the way back to the garden all the way back to the beginning when god began to create the world he did so in six literal days he spoke it into existence and in six days he spoke and those things existed and then on the seventh day he rested Sabbath, which actually is the Hebrew word for rest. God rested on the Sabbath, and that would become then a pattern for his people in calling them to rest, which in fact was mercy, is mercy. It's mercy to those who are living in this environment and also mercy to us who take advantage of the Sabbath rest that God has to offer in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 and 10, in the law as God is recounting this law to, the, to Moses, says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. This was a mercy on Sabbath to these people for many reasons. First and foremost, it was a mercy to call attention to a need for worship and devotion to God. Of setting aside a regular cadence, a regular rhythm of worship, reminding them who God was, reminding them why they existed in the first place, why they were a people of God. They were a people of God because God intervened for them, called them out of the nations, called them to himself, and called them to this very important thing of worship. Recognizing the worthiness of God and calling them into relationship, that is a mercy. And on Sundays, which is our Sabbath, as it were, It's a way for us to set aside the activities of the week and call attention to this important priority of worship. This regular cadence of setting aside all the distractions of life and calling attention to what really matters, and that is devotion and worship in relationship with God. But it was also a means to call them to faith. Because as they were putting off their labor... On the Sabbath, which was Saturday for them, putting off their labor, they would need to trust. They would need to trust God for provision. They would need to trust God that in not working on that day that God would provide for their needs. And so it would lead them to contentment in trusting that God was able to provide just what they needed. It was a mercy. Next, we need to understand the Pharisees. Who were these Pharisees. And those of you who've been in church for any length of time will will recognize uh, this group of individuals who were essentially the the experts of the law and seeking to call attention to the the granularity or the minutia of the law and helping to, to check the people of the day and making sure that they were living up to that standard. The Pharisees, unlike the Sadducees, the Sadducees who who were normally wealthy priests or Levites, the Pharisees generally came from the, from the middle class. And so even though there were only 6,000 or so of, of the Pharisees, a very small group in number, they endeared themselves to the common people. The, the common people could associate and identify with them because they came from about the same walk of life. The Pharisees' theology was in many respects faithful to the teaching of the Scripture. But ironically, it was their zeal for the law that caused the Pharisees to become too focused on rituals and external outworkings of the law. For example, traveling more than 3,000 feet from home on the Sabbath day was forbidden. But if one placed food at the 3,000 foot point, then that point would then become the new home and then you could work from another 3,000 feet. The silliness and complication of the, the, the laws that they put into place so they could demonstrate that they were those who adhered to the law. They were reverent, they were holy, they were devout. There were also regulations about carrying items on the Sabbath day. Something lifted up in a public place could only be set down in a private place and an object that was tossed into the air had to be caught with the same hand. But if it was caught with the other hand, it would be a Sabbath violation. If a person reached out to pick up food when the Sabbath began, the food had to be dropped, and to bring the arm back while holding the food would be to carry a burden on the Sabbath. The silliness of Sabbath ritual. A tailor could not carry his needle, A scribe could not carry his pen, a student could not carry his book, otherwise it would be ascribed as work. And so, to bring this home, there were other things that were forbidden like sowing and plowing and reaping and binding sheaves and threshing and winnowing and grinding and kneeling and baking. And so as the disciples are making their, their way through this grain field, they were violating virtually every part of this Sabbath tradition as far as the Pharisees were concerned. Jesus commends mercy. He understands the hunger of his disciples. He recognizes the the need that they have to fill up their tank, as it were, in terms of energy reserve. They have been serving with Christ, and they've been doing it faithfully. Jesus, in walking through this grain field with the disciples, recognizes their need and allows them to do this even under the watchful eye of the Pharisees. It was not inappropriate or wrong for them to take this grain. It was actually built into the law that they were allowed to do this. We find that in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears uh, with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain there was built into the law an appeal to mercy for those who were in desperate need. Those who had much were able to share with those who had little as they went into the fields and gleaned uh, personally for their need. Jesus, knowing the hunger of his disciples and knowing that they were not actually violating the law, allows them to carry out this, this... activity, but he knows the confrontation that's about to come. And while he commends commends mercy to the disciples, we were going to see him now confronting those who stand against mercy, confronting those who stand against mercy. Notice in verse 2, but some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? The self-appointed guardians of the Sabbath were quick to pronounce this blatant violation. It's somewhat hypocritical, though. They, in violating the Sabbath and taking steps, here they are, following after Jesus and his disciples, uh, certainly taking more than 3,000 steps as they were allotted for the day, are violating the Sabbath so they can catch Jesus and his disciples violating the Sabbath. And they confront Christ. Why are you doing what is not lawful? The implication is, if you know the law, if you were from God, you would know the law and you would obey the law. So because you neither know the law or are obeying the law, you must not be from God. So Jesus responds. And he responds in a way that is combative and confrontive. And he flips the question, the implication on its head. Notice in verse 3, Jesus answers them, Have you not read? You're accusing me of not knowing the law. (laughs) You who consider yourselves to be the guardians of the law, do you really know the book that you're reading? The book that you're defending? Do you really understand the implications of what is really there? Have you read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to them who were with him? And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus flips this question on its head and helps to confront these Pharisees who are standing in the way of mercy because if you stand in the way of mercy, you stand in the way of God. Jesus wanted in no uncertain terms to bring it home to the Pharisees in understanding and recognizing what they were really doing. You're not defending the law. You're not defending me. <laughs> I am the Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus reminds them of this account from 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22. And you remember the story. This is, G- this is uh, David who is running for his life from King Saul. He's just heard a report from Jonathan that he needs to skedaddle and get out of town. So he begins to run with his, his entourage and he makes it to Nob, which is about a, a mile to an, a mile and a half northwest of... Jerusalem they have no food they have no weapons and they're in harm's way David comes to this tabernacle that's that's here this tabernacle that is standing here and Ahimelech who is the priest he asks him if there's any way that they can have something to eat of course the tabernacle was not a bakery and the only bread that was available there was the consecrated bread The bread that was devoted to the priests. And it was a bread that consisted of 12 loaves that were put into the holy place every Sabbath. And that's our tie-in to this story. Every Sabbath they were placed into the tabernacle and then every Sabbath they were removed and replenished with another fresh set of loaves. What's the point of this story? Well, the point of the story is that while David wasn't technically allowed to eat the bread of the presence, Ahimelech, the priest, had the authority to share what God in mercy had given to he and his family and to share that mercy and dispense that mercy to David and his friends. As an extension of provision, as an extension of mercy, Ahimelech could extend mercy that was given to him a recipient of mercy a recipient of provision and now he could in authority share that bread with others and now jesus drives the point home that we see in verse five the son of man is lord of the sabbath i've told you before jesus will say by implication i am the son of man That identity that is reserved, we see that identity uh, drawn out of Daniel chapter 7, where Jesus states emphatically by claiming this term, I am the one who has dominion and authority over all nations and languages and peoples. I am that one. And here I am, the Son of Man, and I am claiming lordship over the Sabbath, which means I am God. And I have authority to call the shots on this day. This is my day. This is a mercy day. Sabbath, which is a mercy day. I'm extending mercy. And in doing this, Jesus calls them to mercy as well. Christ then calls his audience to mercy. He commends it. He confronts those who stand in the way of it. And he calls them to be not only recipients of mercy, but those who dispense mercy. If you're going to emulate the heart of Jesus, the heart of God, you must be one who emulates the heart of mercy. If you're going to emulate the heart of comfort and those who confront and stand against the opponents of mercy, you must emulate Jesus' heart in this way as well. In the parallel account we find in Matthew, we see this even more clearly. The, the, the God of mercy shows up in Matthew chapter 12, verses 6 to 8, this correlating account where Jesus says, Have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice... You would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The God of mercy is here. And while the priests are able to serve on the Sabbath day, and that is not considered work, they are guilt free or guiltless. In this same sense, the disciples, in meeting their physical needs on the Sabbath day, have not broken the law, and me. Uh, as the Lord of the Sabbath am extending mercy to them and if you will be part of me you will also extend mercy in Matthew chapter 9 verses 12 to 13 this is the account that we talked about a couple of weeks ago where Jesus is uh, having a meal with the tax collectors in, in Matthew or, or Levi which is his other name and in response to the Pharisees who were grumbling in their hearts Jesus says this But when he heard it, the grumbling that was taking place, those who are well, he says, have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, go learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This morning, if you are a recipient of the mercy of God, if you are one who has placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you're one who has come to the place of recognizing your sin in light of a holy God and you have asked for forgiveness, you've turned away from sin and turned to God, you are a recipient of mercy and thus you are one who is called to mercy, to show mercy. And when you stand in the way of mercy, you stand in the way of God. This next account in verses six to 11 is a a similar account. It it is kind of the one-two punch of of, uh, Jesus's ministry in terms of helping the Pharisees in particular and helping his disciples understand the significance of compassion and mercy. So Jesus is full of compassion. And here in verses six to 11, we're gonna see that Jesus is not afraid of confrontation. Jesus will do what it takes to call righteous hypocrites to see true religion by seeing the true nature of God and he will stand in their way. He will oppose the proud but give grace to the humble and he will call them to mercy by confronting their hypocrisy. Notice in verse 6, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. Now, if you're wondering, the points in this section are going to be a mirror of the points in the previous one. I, just want, to, I want you to see that the, the same emphasis is, is, in, is in this passage as well. That Christ will commend ministry, he'll confront those who stand against ministry, and he will call us to be those who extend ministry, or mercy, excuse me. This story provides the correlating truth. It helps us recognize the emphasis of mercy in the heart and ministry of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is in this synagogue, as was his custom, and in the background are the Pharisees, again watching. This is the word to watch closely, to scrutinize It's to test, to make sure you can find and stockpile a legal case against a person so you can indict them. You could probably use the word to scrutinize or investigate or to look to pounce that they might find an accusation against him. Here it is. Ironically, these self appointed guardians of the Sabbath did not want to stop Jesus from healing on the Sabbath because they wanted to find reason to destroy Jesus, to get rid of Jesus. And here in their midst is a man with a withered hand. Luke draws attention to it being his right hand, and those of you who are right hand dominant will understand the significance of of using your right hand to carry out even the most mundane activities in the day. Jesus recognizes that, that this is... A limiting factor for this guy to be able to provide for his family. He recognizes that grace and mercy are necessary to help encourage and, and support this person, this man in his midst. And so Jesus commends mercy, and now confronts, we see in verse seven, confronts those who stand against mercy. The scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with a withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. This man becomes a perfect candidate for his object lesson. He's not going to heal him privately. He's not going to whisper be healed and the man's hand is restored while sitting in their midst. Jesus is going to make an example of this man and call attention to mercy by having him stand and come to the front because Jesus was going to make this as public as possible because mercy demands attention and God's people will be those who commend mercy. This was not going to be a private healing. Jesus was not going to wait to the first day of the week. Jesus was going to call attention to the need and he was going to convey mercy in public. Jesus confronts these Pharisees and says, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or destroy it. Now that's going to be an important word for us as we finish this account. To do good or to destroy life. And after looking around at them, he said, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. Jesus poses the question, waits for a response. The Pharisees are silent, and so he asks the man to extend his hand. He said, Stretch out your hand. And as the man stretched out his hand, you can almost imagine the tendons and the fingers begin to be restored to their their, um, normal functions. And healing had happened on the spot. But here's the sad part of the story. The sad part about this story is that everyone believed, including the Pharisees, that Jesus had healed this man. And yet while believing that he did the miracle would not believe he was from God. There is a believing that does not lead to salvation. I want everyone to understand that very important truth. This believing in the midst of this synagogue did not lead to faith because they were determined to set themselves against mercy. Luke 6, 11 describes this, but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 14, this is the correlating account, the Pharisees went out and conspired how to destroy him. That's the same word. To do good or to destroy it. And the Pharisees demonstrated their heart, their posture, was set against mercy, set against God, and thus set towards condemnation and judgment. They become angry. They become furious. And they leave the venue, having seen the clear evidence and testimony of God in their midst. And they leave, believing that he healed, but not believing that he could save. But Jesus called them to mercy, as he calls all of us to mercy. Luke 6, 9, in our passage, helps us to understand that God calls us to this. He says, Jesus says to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? Those of us here in this room have been, who have been recipients of mercy are called as recipients of mercy to dispense mercy. I'm encouraged as I think about the the testimony of of those who are called to repentance because God does not call righteous to repentance but sinners and so this morning if you've come to a place of recognizing you're a sinner of recognizing your need for mercy and you've been called to enjoy relationship with God and also called to dispense mercy the mercy of God on others let me pray Lord thank you For your son, Jesus, who in this narrative this morning, on two occasions, was willing to stand against those who sought to thwart mercy, the mercy of God. And he did it in no uncertain terms. He did it boldly. He did it somewhat aggressively because he sought to demonstrate compassion. And as the Pharisees stood in the way of compassion and mercy they stood in the way of your mission for humanity. Lord, this morning, may we understand the significance of what you've called us to and what you've called us by. You've called us by mercy to extend the mercy of God. May that be true in Jesus' name. Amen. In verses 12 to 16, we find the calling of the disciples. Jesus calls the disciples and In in some respects, it kind of looks out of place. What what is going on here? And while this might be part of the chronology of of Jesus' life and ministry, what is the significance of it being here in this spot? And I think it's this. That while Jesus is commending mercy, Jesus is calling us, his disciples, and specifically the apostles here, to mercy. That is the ministry that they're going to have. To echo the heart of of God notice with me in verse 12 it says in these days he went out to the mountain to pray speaking of Jesus and all night he continued in prayer to God and we've seen throughout uh, this letter already throughout the, the gospel of Luke the attention that Jesus has given to prayer going to the desolate place going to the mountain spending time going away to be with God to pray. This is a place of retreat, a place of removing distraction, a place of, of coming to the Father and, and, and demonstrating His dependence upon the Father and, and asking the Father for wisdom and direction for this important decision that was going to happen. There were several of those who would be, would be disciples, those who were following along with Jesus' ministry up to this point. As much as a, a year to a year and a half of ministry had happened. Remember, they had been ministering in Judah, had been ministering in Jerusalem, had been ministering across from John the Baptist in the, in the wilderness of the Jordan, and now here they are in Galilee. Probably another six months or so of ministry that is taking place before this point. And in verse 13, it says, and when day came, meaning Jesus prayed through the entire night, he gave attention to, to devotion to the Father and seeking the Lord's wisdom in this decision. It says he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. The significance of Jesus calling these apostles is captured in Mark chapter 3 verse 14 when it says, and he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles so they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. This two-fold mission of Christ in calling the disciples, calling them to himself first, and then sending them afterwards. Because you can't commend what you do not know. And the disciples needed to be in a relationship with Jesus. They, they needed to understand his ministry, not just see what Jesus was about, but recognize the way that Jesus interacted with others, See his heart of compassion. See his heart of mercy. See his combative and confrontive opposition to those who would stand in the way. They needed to see this. Really, they needed to get an up-close and personal look at God. This is the same God. The same God who is the same as yesterday, today, and forever. Was embodied in Jesus. And now he was present with them. This is the same the same God that Moses encountered in the mountain when he was receiving the law, where the Lord passed before Moses and said, the Lord, the Lord, God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. The God who is full of compassion but the God who is also willing to confront sin, this God. And Jesus in calling the disciples to himself was looking forward to the day of commissioning them to the greater work of extending ministry, this mercy ministry to those who they would encounter. And that's really what we celebrate this morning through the ordinance of communion. We come and we hold in our hands the the bread, the broken body of Christ, the symbol of his broken body, the symbol of the the life's blood. And we come to understand the, the costliness of this mercy. It wasn't free. Now, it's free to those who believe, but it wasn't free to Jesus. It cost his life. Peter, in recognizing the significance of this component of mercy, we saw in his letter to the, to the scattered church in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he calls attention to mercy. Notice. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter got it. He understood the significance of mercy. And as one who had been a recipient of mercy, he could be one then to commend mercy to others. The Apostle Paul also keys in on this attribute in Romans chapter 12 verse 1 when he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. You see, the mercy of God directs our mission. The mercy of God fills out our worship as we come to a place of recognizing what he has done that we did not deserve. So we hold in our hands uh, the elements, the symbol of the broken body of Christ. As Isaiah chapter 53 talks, he was bruised for our transgressions. He was broken, he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was put upon him and by his stripes we are healed. And this morning, as we remember the mercy of God, we remember Jesus, what he accomplished for us. Let's remember him this morning as we eat together. The, the juice that we have, the, the symbol of the life's blood of Jesus, not only reminds us what Jesus paid to extend mercy to us but I think it also reminds us of the mission that we've been called to as those who have been recipients of mercy to be those who call others to enjoy the same mercy again Matthew chapter 9 verses 12 to 13 Jesus says I desire mercy and not sacrifice for I came not to call the righteous but sinners so This morning, if if you're a recipient of mercy, if you consider yourself a sinner, (laughs) then you are also one who has been invited to enjoy mercy. And so as one who has experienced mercy, are you one who conveys mercy, dispenses mercy? If we're to do the same thing that Jesus called his disciples to, to call the unrighteous to enjoy mercy. This will be part of the regular pattern and rhythm of our life. That God has put us all in relationship with people who need mercy. And the life's blood of Christ reminds us that when you invite them to enjoy mercy, mercy is possible because the price has been paid. It just requires believing. It requires coming to a place of recognizing your sin and looking to a holy God and asking for forgiveness. Are you one who conveys mercy by calling those in community with you to enjoy mercy on a regular basis? This morning, as we remember the life, the life's blood of Christ, let's drink this morning. Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus, for all that he purchased for us. May we be those who, like Christ, commend mercy and, like these disciples, recognize our mission, the mission that's before us, to invite others to receive the same benefits of the death and resurrection of Jesus and the peace with God that we can have through our Lord Jesus Christ. May that be The mission that fills our weeks, we pray in Jesus' name.